Hi, welcome to Pine Devitz Podcast. Season 1, Human Meaning. Episode 3. In today's episode, we will open the thread on a very important value in our community friendship. How was it born? How important is it? We all heard of the military coup in Myanmar early this week. But why is it important to know about this? How could this affect us all? Global warming is bringing phenomena never seen before. Is nature striking back? Can large companies solve the problem? I am your host and friend, David Pineda. I am so glad to have the opportunity to be with you on Spotify. Thank you for letting me spread on behalf of the Pine Davids community the message of unity, knowledge, peace that our world needs in these challenging times. Together, we can make it a better place for everyone. Let's get started. Stay until the end. This section is just for you, for nobody else. It is aimed at providing you with insightful information, ideas, questions, and topics to help you create your grandest version of yourself. A better world can only be built with a better you. As you already know, this first section deals with things related only to our individual part, our self. And today's topic, friendship, could well be in the second section, the societal one, because that deals with how our individual relates to others. However, we're not going to talk about how friendships affect others, but how they affect us. That's to say, the inner or individual part of friendships. You know, one of the many mottos we have at Pine David is everything is connected. And we will often go back and forth along the three sections as everything relates to a larger or shorter degree. Friendship is a very large topic we will cover in different episodes, but today I just want to open the thread. I want you to think about how having or not having friends can change your life. Why do we have friends? Is this a good question to start? Or perhaps... Where does this idea come from? History has shown us that ever since we became civilized... Uh, okay, let me rephrase it. Ever since we became civilized enough, people have always shown tendencies to form smaller groups to tackle special subjects. What could those moments have been like in the early stages of humanity? 
they didn't have a language as such, perhaps only noises and signs, but a special feeling united them. I don't know what you can imagine, but I imagine humans became better at being humans as friendship was being born. Confidence and affection must have been the feelings the first human teams experimented to figure out the puzzles that otherwise would have killed them. You would not trust any other person to hunt a big animal. You would only work with a person you know won't abandon you in the middle of the action. That's the foundation of friendship. Just like today, we are not confident enough to speak of our problems, our ups and downs with anybody, right? Some people do though, but most people pick specific people to open their minds and share what they've got inside, good or not. I see friendship as part of the foundations of being humans. Had friends never existed, I don't think humans would have made all the progress they have made until now. Maybe we still wouldn't have made any progress at all. Who knows? What do you think? Where would we be by now if the friendship hadn't existed at all? One thing is for sure, without friendship, we wouldn't be humans. Friends are the people who make our days and sometimes who hurt the most. In any case, we always look for somebody with who to express our ideas, our projects, our illusions, our goals. They give us points of view we wouldn't figure out for ourselves. They give us advice if they think we're doing badly. And if we think of fun, we don't think of parents or neighbors or teachers. We think of friends, right? According to science, we tend to live longer and healthier lives when we have good friends. So, friends seem to be an important part of humanity. Now, if you don't have friends, can it affect you somehow? Or can you be your own friend? Or your best friend? And for people with or without siblings, can a friend become your brother or your sister? Or can your sibling be your best friend? There's much to say, and I can't wait to see your comments and ideas. This is why I wanted to open the thread here and now with you. In upcoming episodes, I will share with you what I have learned about science and other publications about friendship. I will also give you some pieces of advice to have better, stronger relationships with friends. Of course, you can share with us all you know or have done to be an exceptional friend, or you can also share what your best friend is like. We can combine all the information and define what the real relevance of having friends is. For now, I just wanted to make you think of your friends and how important they are to you. Or if you don't have friends, think of reasons to believe you don't need them or reasons to believe you do. Everything makes us wiser on the topic. As you know, Valentine's Day is coming, at least in many countries. Of course, the celebration varies from place to place. In some countries, it is a day to honor love and romantic relationships. In Mexico, it honors both lovers and friends. February is often called the month of love and friendship. What a better excuse than this to open this thread. And this is an important topic in our community, and it will be an intensely talked about one. What do you think of friendship? Share your comments on our social networks, and join the discussion on our human network, our own community of friends interested in changing the world. We'll be glad to be friends with you and hear from you.
Section 2 All Lives Matter This section is a reminder about how important it is to be one with others. Being yourself doesn't go against caring for others, no loving others means giving up. Conversely, unity is the only way to make a real change in this lifetime. Last Monday, we all heard of the coup d'etat in Myanmar. Many people still ignore what's going on there as they see it as a problem of a very distant part of the world we only hear of in classes. But whatever happens even in a distant country is a mere reflection of what could happen in our neighboring countries or our own. Seriously, power is something that can't stand still as always people want to own it. What we see all around the globe is a constant dispute to own power. I want you to think of the situation in this country and how it can affect us all, even if we don't live in Asia. But before, I'm going to give you some background on what we are talking about so we are tuned in. Where is Myanmar? Is it Burma or Myanmar? Why do they have a coup d'etat? Why do coups exist in the 21st century in the first place? Myanmar is a republic that is located between India and Thailand in Southeast Asia. It shares borders with both countries and with Bangladesh, China and Laos. It also shares coasts with the Andaman Sea and the Bay of Bengal. It has over 50 million people and is a multi-ethnic country. In 1989, the country was renamed from Burma to Myanmar. It once was under British rule from 1824 to 1948, but before declaring its independence from Great Britain, Burma was occupied by the Japanese during World War II from 1942 to 1945. The Empire of Japan invaded Burma and declared it independent, but it later became obvious to the Burmese that the Japanese had no intention to leave. The Allies and the United Kingdom supported the provisionary government to drive out the Japanese. After that, negotiations for the Burmese independence between them and the British began. And then Burma started a long and rough road to establishing a democratic government with many ups and downs. Due to its high number of ethnic groups, the country has held one of the longest ongoing civil wars, which has led to social and political instability since the very beginning. As a perfect excuse to seize power and allegedly stabilize the situation among ethnic groups, the military led a coup in 1962 to overthrow the anti-fascist People's Freedom League, the then dominant political parties since the independence. The socialist military regime ruled under martial law and a single party structure until 1974, when they wrote a second constitution and gave a few government positions to civilians, though the government continued to be ruled as a totalitarian one-party state. In 1988, between 1 and 4 million people marched across the country protesting against the dictatorship, the economic mismanagement, corruption and other problems that the military failed to solve or even worsened. Officially, 350 people died, but it is said that thousands of people were killed and arrested. Of course, the government did not recognize the movement and, in fact, 
the military took over power as a state law. However, they gave in pressure and held an election in 1990, which of course they lost to the recently founded National League for Democracy. But the military junta refused to concede and continued ruling for 21 more years. In 2008, the military proposed the constitution and put it to a public vote by a referendum. The idea of the military was to yield power to democracy by creating a disciplined flourishing state. A cyclone hit the country before the referendum, affecting thousands of people. The United Nations suggested that the referendum was postponed, but the government refused to do it. Some people were allegedly forced to vote yes, according to some sources. It is said that the constitution was written in a way that granted the military to continue having power. In 2010, the first elections under the new political framework were held, and it's no surprise to say that the military-backed Union Solidarity and Development Party declared victory. Among claims of fraud and international condemnation, the country first began to establish new relations with foreign governments and create new reforms toward liberal democracy. In 2015, Myanmar held the first openly contested elections since 1990. As expected, the National League for Democracy won the absolute majority, and the first non-military president since 1962 took office in 2016. Last year, Myanmar held another election. The National League for Democracy won in a landslide, but the army alleged fraud and threatened to take action. Where have I heard that before? On the 2nd of February, the parliament was due to swear in the members elected. But the day before, the military led the coup d'etat and detained ministers, deputies, the state councillor and the president. The army said the leaders were detained for breaching campaign guidelines and COVID-19 restrictions and for importing and using radio and communication devices which are restricted in Myanmar and only allowed by the military. The army also declared a state of emergency and said the country will hold elections again. Is the coup legal? According to the military that evoked some articles from the constitution it wrote itself, it is concerned about the national sovereignty due to alleged fraud in elections. Some scholars say it is not legal though. What is their drive? It hasn't been clearly stated by the military although it seems clear they don't want to fall from power in Burmese politics. Following the coup, thousands of people have taken to the streets to protest the military's takeover and the arrest of politicians. Among the protesters, there are university teachers and students who defy the military coup. What does a totalitarian government do when people gather to express their opinion against them? The military disrupted Myanmar's internet and urged service providers and mobile networks to ban Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. All of this as an apparent way of preventing people from organizing civil disobedience movements. Some countries condemned the coup, some others only expressed their concern, and some refused to support one side or the other of the conflict. It is worth taking a look at the map right now and seeing their stances. What countries hold neutral positions? Why do you think they do? There are many factors to think of, but I invite you to take a look at the map. Myanmar is one of the fastest growing economies in the world. It's a rich country in mineral resources and oil. However, the military has plunged the country into impoverishment and social crises. Freedom of speech and the press are not guaranteed by law. Child labor and human trafficking are common. 
the military has been accused of using sexual violence, and it is also said that human rights violations and cases of corruption take place very frequently. Why do we still have coups? Is it not possible to solve conflicts without the use of force? What do you think of military rulers? It is true that across history there have been cases in which strict policies have helped countries grow faster in terms of economy and political stability. We can talk about military dictatorships around the globe in a later episode. We can discuss their very few advantages and their many disadvantages. But for now, we could say that by installing a disciplined flourishing democracy, the military in Myanmar wants to ensure social stability. Okay, but stability does not equal progress, peace, evolution or prosperity. I ask you, do you think it is possible to establish a military-led government that really ensures democracy? Or is democracy something that simply does not go with the military rule? Can a military government be an exemplary good government for others? Tell me what you think. I think not. Armies are meant to fight for and defend a country against enemies, not to rule. The military knows not other things but violence. It's in its blood. It is its nature. When we, as human species, realize that we don't have enemies, that violence only brings more violence, that using weapons is going backward, when that happens, armies around the world and all their arsenals will vanish from the face of the earth. That should be our ultimate goal regarding armies. We can't be enemies, though we insist we are. Or do you think humans need weapons and armies? What for? Alright, now, should we bother reading the news on Myanmar? For most people, it is a very distant country. We might take a selfish approach and assume it is not our business and go on in life. Or we might think of the future and realize all nations will eventually have to join for a better future in humanity. Every nation we ignore today can delay human evolution for 10 or a hundred or a thousand years. You don't believe me? Simply put this. Let's imagine we ignored this and the military regime in Myanmar gets ahead triumphant. Mexico's president has given the armed forces many privileges. The military in Mexico builds airports and railroads, runs ports, repairs hospitals, patrols cities, secures installations and customs, raids drug cartels, transports the COVID vaccines, and even administer such vaccines, among many other tasks previously managed by civilians. What message do you think the President of Mexico and the armed forces would get if Myanmar's military gets away with it? What message can we read? We can tell that the more power the military grasps, the harder it becomes for the military to give it up. If Mexico allowed it, other countries would surely follow. We could eventually have more militarized countries. What would the United States do with a militarized neighbor? The president of Mexico has already dared defy the United States. And this is just one of the many countries that could take a step toward militarization. Of course, this hypothetical scenario is yet far-fetched, though not impossible at all. I invite you to think of the future of humankind. What should we allow in order to reach global peace development and human evolution? What are the things we can't tolerate and we need to speak loud of? Share your comments on our social networks. 
join the debate on our human network and tell us what we all can do to avoid going backward in human evolution. would be pointless without a home. Our home is planet Earth, not a bunch of bricks, wood and paint, or we would think of ourselves as very little people if so. To know oneself and others is just as important as to know the world around us. Humans have always been fascinated with innovations and advancements. We have always searched for new forms of doing things quicker and better. From the Industrial Revolution and on, and particularly from the Technological Revolution, mankind has pressed the accelerator in terms of change. The only thing we have forgotten is that our planet is very sensitive to change. At first, we didn't know it. Humans were enthusiastic about all the growth new inventions could bring. Later, we started experimenting with the changes and seeing the Earth was not quite comfortable with the new pace mankind had adopted. But large companies, governments and powerful people thought the consequences of damaging our planet were very distant in time and they overlooked the call to action from experts who saw this could potentially become a catastrophic world scenario. It is until now that humans are becoming aware of how fast this is happening. But not all. People like the former president of the United States or the current president of Mexico have long disregarded sustainability and environmentally friendly policies in exchange for more funds and support for oil and coal companies among other similar measures. Their obstinacy is still to be assessed by future generations. However, Changes in the climate conditions are real and taking place right now, just before our eyes. We have been witnesses of how temperatures around the globe have gone higher over the last years. Only the last six years have been the warmest ones. And all this brings unmeasurable consequences just like a snowball effect. Waters around the world have increased their temperatures carrying side effects with it. Glaciers are melting, pouring more water into the oceans. According to an article in the Washington Post, ice losses have soared. In 1990, about 760 billion tons of ice melted. It is estimated that now we are losing 1.2 trillion tons of ice a year, which means 28 trillion tons of ice are already part of the oceans. Johan Rockström, the director of the Potsdam Institute for the Climate Impact Research, says we have already passed some points of no return in the Arctic summer sea ice and the West Antarctic ice shelf. The first already affecting weather systems in the Northern Hemisphere and the latter being expected to raise the sea levels by one or two meters in the coming years. The glaciers and fjords are often called the canary in the coal mine due to their high sensitivity to climate change. 
Unfortunately, these problems often remain invisible since they are not things we see every day with our own eyes. But this should not be an excuse to ignore it, nor should we believe we can't do anything just because those places do not belong to our countries or cities. In fact, the problem is not that far in distance or time, it is just knocking on our own doors. Very connected with warmer waters, hurricanes have become more devastating and much more powerful than ever before. Meteorologists have even considered the remote possibility of expanding the Saffir-Simpson scale as the sustained winds of some storms have gone far beyond the 157 miles per hour lower limit of a Category 5 hurricane in recent years. One example was Hurricane Patricia, which reached sustained winds of 215 miles per hour. The 2020 Atlantic hurricane season was the most active and the fifth consecutive above average Atlantic hurricane season from 2016 onward. Ironically, global warming also brings less rain. Droughts around the globe have become more extreme and more unpredictable as climate change shows more effects. Along with them, hotter temperatures serve as a breeding ground for phenomena such as wildfires, which in turn heat the atmosphere even more. During the last Australian fire season, over 40 million acres were burned, thousands of buildings were destroyed, and at least a billion animals died. It is not just us and what we build with our hands. Several plants and animal species are already threatened by the monster we are creating, and many more are being added to the list almost every day and the new century started with an unprecedented acceleration. Interestingly enough, the 2020 pandemic brought good news in terms of the environment. Coastal cities around the globe bragged about crystal clear beaches and transparent views on the skyline due to less human activity. Plants and animals reclaimed a little bit of what we have snatched from them. It's surprising how quickly nature can get back up. It's a lesson we have to learn, but one we still haven't is that there's no much time left. We have to stop soon or else we will cross the threshold and leave our future and the future of all living beings on our planet in hands of a fate that will take its tolls on us. At this pace, in less than 7 years, we will have fostered conditions for an increase of 1.5 degrees Celsius in global temperature, enough for unmeasurable consequences. I just watched a Deutsche Welle documentary, its name, Can Green Investment Change the World? To begin with, just mentioning the title evokes some thinking. Green investment is the investment in companies, products and strategies aimed at minimizing or stopping the negative impact on the environment by the use of clean energies and sustainable technologies and processes. Green investors want to stop or reduce the damage while they make some money, that is the idea. Investors reflect on questions like, what's the point of having loads of money if it becomes worthless because the world we live in is a chaotic place? And that's a good philosophy to start from. I wanted to rephrase the question, what's the point of having loads of money if we can use it to make the world we live in a better place? Although I'm not sure if investors meant the same after all. Going back to the documentary, 
institutional investors boast of having won on the land where politicians have failed, convincing large companies of looking for new ways to stop global warming. Investors are worried to lose their money due to new policies and regulations that could fine large companies that are not committed to lowering carbon emissions. Companies are worried to lose the investment. Both are worried about having money in a world where money is no longer a worry, as there are other important crises. It is good news to see young investors committed to doing their bit on the environmental crisis we are in. It is great news to see how companies turn green, especially in sectors like the car manufacturing one that is moving toward electric vehicles. But I still see that people are much more worried about making more money and not losing any of it than they are about the planet or its people. Of course, people, flora, fauna, the planet are priorities number two, three, four or so. Though I'm not so sure this order will contribute to world peace. We need the power of money to make things change faster. I totally agree with that. And investors say money is the engine that can power up change. But as of today's world, money is the steering wheel of the world and the engine only for the few that understand the real value of money. I really don't want to sound pessimistic, but we have to look further into the future. The new approach companies can take is much better than the oil-based one they still have. Green investment can save the world, no question. Can it save humanity? Well, it better be, or else we will just be delaying the crisis a little bit and transporting it from one side to another on the human evolution board. It might be like we have a very short blanket that whenever you pull it to cover your face, you uncover your feet. It would be a pity if we didn't solve all our problems since we have all the resources we need. There is enough to correct climate change, and poverty, hunger, and solve other major problems. The only resource that seems to be in short supply is willpower. What do you think? What can we do as individuals to revert the damage to our environment? Can we revert it in the first place? Can green investment save the world as it ensures the reduction of inequality in the world? Why can't investment save the poor or the hungry? What's the priority now? Share your comments on our social networks and don't forget to join the debate on our human network. Alpine David become the first online platform, 100% intended to bring together all people across the globe and change the world. Join. Participate in our community by becoming one of the first members of our human network, the evolution of the social network. You will be able to post and interact on our global network too learn from and make friends with flesh and blood people like you and me who want to change the world through knowledge, peace, friendship, love and good values. Share your ideas and projects, teach about those things you're passionate about and tell our community how you want to change the world. Take an active role in our forums, discussions and live events to make good ideas come alive in real time. 
Reach every corner and get to more people by contributing with your own articles, opinions, analyses and any kind of peace and knowledge message you want to share with the world on our public platforms. Get guidance, help, company and love from all your new friends at the Pine Davids community to change your life and become a better you while you make a better world. Subscribe. Subscribe to our newsletter so you don't miss out on any news. Follow us on social media. Find us as PineDavidCom on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Check out our channel on YouTube. Like our posts and share our links to make this project grow up. Support. Make a donation. Help our project continue to be independent, ad-free and secure for our members. Uniting humanity isn't an easy task. Our project is so ambitious that we need a lot of support. It doesn't matter if it's a cup of coffee, a computer, books or money. We accept anything on the condition you donate it from the bottom of your heart. Thank you so much. If you want to join, subscribe or support, go to our website for more information. It is pinedavid.com. Thank you so much for listening to us. Contact us to suggest topics or improvements. We will be glad to hear from you. Listen to us next Saturday. This is your friend David Pineda. Bye for now. Pine Davis.